Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. I'm Brian Dawes. And I'm Chris Delano. And Jay almost forgot me. Chris, I almost (laughs) forgot about Chris. I could hear you, Jay, starting to talk before I introduced myself. No, it's fine. Most of our our audience doesn't even know we're different people. (laughs) I mean, we do. I I mean, you're you're better dressed. Like, that's that's the biggest difference. I mean, that's not hard, Jay. Have you looked at yourself? I'm I'm chunkier. (laughs) No, I'll I'll Also, having a kid is, is, is something. I'll take it. I'll take it. I, I like. I I will say y'all are lucky that I transitioned relatively early on in this podcast life, so we didn't have a podcast that was just uh, three Italian dudes sitting around. Mamma mia, pizzeria! Oh wow! I don't know if I'm offended or not. Three for forget about it, Italians too. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> All right, so today, on that side note, uh, we are going to talk about Modern Horizons 2 Flavor Gems. But specifically, we're going to dive into some of the legends with uh, some deep lore here. Uh, Some of the legends with meat on their bones. See, we're very smart. uh, Because for Modern Horizons 1, what ended up happening is we spent an entire episode just talking about legends and an entire episode just talking about the rest of the set. So two Flavor Gems episodes that couldn't be recorded until the set was fully previewed and took a lot of time after preview season. And this time we were like, no, we don't need to delay anything. Previews are going to last till Tuesday or Wednesday, I think is when they're over. And you know what? We can just go ahead because we know there's going to be more cards previewed for next week's episode. We're not going to cover everything this week. Um, That is built in this this episode. So we're just going to forge ahead with the good stuff. Yeah, that you've seen already. So let's let's talk about the let's let's just dive in. Uh, let's talk about the Dakin Blackblade um, or Dakon Blackblade uh, theme for this set <laughs> yeah, because they think. went deep. Holy cow! So we have Dakon <laughs> Shadow Slayer, which is one of the titles for Dakon given in his the original comic book. Karth the Lion, the progenitor of the Carthalian line, who were the protagonists of most of the old um, Armada comics. Uh, so, so I will say, Hiru. Uh, I, I, oh, uh, I will say, Dakin Shadow Slayer is a Planeswalker card, not a new Dakin legendary creature like in Legends. He finally gets a Planeswalker card because he was, in fact, a Planeswalker. It's amazing how many people didn't actually know that because he had a creature card for so long. Yep. So he was, um, I believe in the comic, he's de-sparked. I'm not positive. It's kind of awkward. I'll talk about it in a minute. Planeswalking mechanics were also a little wonky and indecisive right. at that point. It's a whole, we'll get there. A lot of it is based around how powerful you are. Anyway, talk about the new Elder Dragon we got. Piru the Volatile, who is a uh, Mardu-aligned, not actual Mardu, because we have Elder Dragons on Tarkir, but a red, white, and black Elder Dragon from Dominaria. Now, Piru here was the original sixth Elder Dragon introduced in the Dakon Blackblade comic. Piru was also killed in the Dakon Blackblade comic. Spoiler alert! Uh, and I'll <laughs> I will talk about that in a second. Uh, the other thing we should mention is um, there is uh, pack art for a certain character that might pop up later. 
uh, that might have be a character from the story. We don't know. Maybe unconfirmed, but there is Booster Packard that appears to be the villainous planeswalker of the Dakin comic, Gaedron Dahada. She is referenced on a couple other cards, so we're going to talk about her anyway. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday. If she gets a planeswalker card previewed in the next couple days, so be it. Uh, if not, I don't know if she's here. Uh, if she is, she is. If she's not, she's not. You're going to learn about her anyway, because she's very integral to this whole saga about Dakin. So there are also two other cards, uh, Flavor Gems, that reference this saga. There is Flay Essence, which has uh, Dahada art. I'm sorry, Dahada flavor text, not art. But there's also Profane Tutor, which is a art by Richard Kane Ferguson, who has so far been able to do uh, every Black Blade related card, has a uh, Richard Almost. Kane Ferguson version. Almost. Uh, we still do not have uh, an RKF Gideon Blackblade. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, we did get him for Blackblade Reforged, though. Yep. Uh, but in Profane Tutor, we have Gaedron Dihada in the background because, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. So let's talk about Dakon Blackblade number one. Uh, so the story starts with uh, a boy from Karth who is just known as the boy of Karth or something along those lines. And uh, his family was slaughtered by a servant of Ge- of Dihada called Solkanar. Um, Solkanar is another one. I wonder if uh, that's the that's the other major character that from the comic that may or may not be in this set. I don't know. There's yep. no, been no hints towards him, but Solkanar at this also point, has a anything card. could go. Yeah, Solkanar also has a card in Legends. Um, I would love to see a new legendary creature that you know isn't terrible, but oh uh, yeah, <laughs> again we'll see. Uh, so because Karth's village and family were wiped out by Solkanar. Uh, Karth wants revenge on Dehada and tries to assassinate her and is promptly captured and imprisoned. In the dungeon, a mad monk tells him the legend of Dakin Blackblade, another person who has an axe to grind uh, with Dehada and a planeswalker. Um, so the story goes that Dehada commissioned the Blackblade from Dakon way back in the day uh, and promises to ignite a planeswalker spark or make him a planeswalker. I don't think I'm not sure if planeswalker sparks are mentioned there. But instead, she took the blade and his shadow, which is implied to be like a, um, a euphemism for his soul. Uh, Karth escapes and finds a summoning book with a convenient bookmark to the summon for Dakon Blackblade. Uh, which this doesn't ring any alarm bells in his head. Uh, he summons Dakon and binds him with this amulet. Uh, they end up fleeing the castle and they go, go to Solkanar's swamp, uh, which was once a thriving forest that Solkanar was the nature spirit of, kind of like Multani, uh, but was turned into a demon uh, when Dihada cursed the swamp. They're ambushed by Solkanar, who wields the Black Blade. Uh, I, I am very curious if Solkanar was originally supposed to be a Maro Sorcerer for that forest. Um, that's I would I would love sense. to see that revisited someday and confirmed just as a tying a lot of narrative things that happen on Dominaria together. But um, that's just headcanon thoughts right now. No, but like that, that made perfect sense once I heard the story about it. it like... That's the only way it makes sense to me, so... Yeah, Solkanar was explicitly a nature spirit that was cursed. Um, so I, I'm thinking, yeah, Solkanar used to be a marrow sorcerer of some kind. But anyway, Dehada is there with Solkanar with the Black Blade. Solkanar uh, isn't a, really a match for Dakin, who's a planeswalker at this point. 
Um, and Dakin disarms him. Karth ends up picking up the Black Blade and fighting off some minions. Uh, Dihada, to up the challenge, summons the Elder Dragons Chromium and Piru. Uh, Piru, the one we finally got a card of. This was the first appearance of a ah, uh, Elder Dragon that wasn't in Legends. I'm so excited. Yeah, she's great. I, I love that card. I can't wait to put her in the Ur Dragon. My uh, my favorite thing about Piru is that she wasn't even necessarily considered canon until uh, Belzenlock was confirmed as killing her. Yeah, her being an Elder Dragon wasn't canon. Like, people didn't know. Like, there was a whole... Because of her, there was a whole, like, fanon about lesser Elder <laughs> the lesser Dragons. lesser Elder Dragons. To explain yeah. her Ugh. away, right? Um, but we're, gonna, we're not going to get yeah. into any of that, because none, none of that's canon. Because it, um, it's... All those old head cannons don't matter anymore. It's just canon that Piru is an elder dragon. Yes, and we were very excited about that way back in Dominaria. Uh, so Chromium uses something very similar to the elder spell on Dakon, which was, I thought, very interesting rereading it now after War of the Spark. <laughs> I want to say, I really wish someone had looked at this comic and been like, hey, wait a sec during War of the Spark instead of two years later. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was certainly a thing. Yeah. What a good find. Oh, no, I was laughing at the fact that the, about the Elder Spell nonsense. It, it doesn't actually say Elder Spell, but uh, Dakin says something to the effect of his, like, spark is being drained or something along those lines. Uh, so it's possible this is when the Legend version is born. Um Dakin ends up taking the Black Blade back from Karth and uses it to slay Piru, which creates a chasm, hence the flavor text on Piru, so big you can see it on the Dominaria map. It's like the Great Canyon of um, uh, of Dominaria. It's, it's enormous. Um, <clears throat> pardon me for all these ums, by the way. Uh, after after managing to do that, Dakin unsummons Chromium and sends him back to where he came from. But Dahada realizes, reveals, I'm sorry, reveals it was all a setup and marks Dakin for later, having drained all the, having absorbed all the power unleashed by Piru when she was slain by with the Black Blade. Uh, afterwards, after Dahada flees uh, or leaves because you know there's a very angry Dakin with a Black Blade that she'll she'll come back for later. Uh, Karth and Dakin end up leaving for Teresier, and Karth is dubbed Karth the Lion by Dakin for his his valor and bravery. Um, the comic's pretty good. I, I enjoy this one quite a bit. Uh, I wish these were more available. It'd be really cool if Wizards had like put up a digital version of it the, alongside this set so people could read it. Unlike a lot of the uh, early other stuff, it, there's not a lot of problematic elements in it. <laughs> like there isn't a lot of other pre-revisionist stuff and early magic stuff, so it'd be pretty cool. Uh, anyway, then Jay, we get to the... uh, imagine imagine Wizards putting up free uh, old content rather than taking free old content off and trying to sell it. That would be uh, that'd be pretty amazing. It just got cold. There's so much shade. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to make it so dark in here. Um, we can move on. <laughs> So the video game Battle Mage is when we see uh, any of these characters again. There is a descendant of Karth named Jared Carthalian, which we talked about, uh, who was in Commander Legends. Uh, Jared uh, is there alongside Dehada, who is searching for Dakon to reclaim him. I don't think we actually see Dakon in the in the game, though. Um, 
there's no real resolution there. We just know she's still, she wants her servant back now. And then the modern day, we see uh, Corlash, heir to Blackblade, hasn't gotten the blade somehow. We've never gotten any lore about that. Uh, and then between Corlash and now, the Blackblade was destroyed, reforged, and taken by Belsenlock for the whole Dominaria arc of the uh, lead-up to War of the Spark. We don't really know what happened to Dakon. Uh, he's, it's possible he's still around or not. I don't know. It, it, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I just totally blanked on what I was going to say. Well, we, we know where Dakon is now. Uh, he's staying with his, uh, distant, distant relative, uh, relative Becca. And they're, uh, they're <laughs> going to the, uh, Modern Horizons 2 pre-release. It's really exciting. All right. Fair. The, yeah. The, those little promotional <laughs> videos with, with Dakon and Becca have been, uh, very fun. Um, yeah, I've, I've been enjoying those. They're goofy and silly. Uh, which are tones that I enjoy. Unlike Dakin in the... Co- Dakin is just like so mid-90s fantasy gritty. <laughs> like... He's so evil. <laughs> like, it's just un- unnecessarily evil. Yeah, I should then, mention here, yeah. Dakin uh, sacrificed his own son, Darius, to the Blade, along with a lot of other people. Uh, like in order people? to create the evil power in it, like yeah. thousands. He he temper he tempers the sword in the blood of like forty people to forge it. It's there. There are different versions, but yeah, it's yeah. One says every day for ten years. Um, okay, that's more so, than forty. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's not a good guy. <laughs> no, black black blade is not a good weapon. It's an evil blade. Like if you weren't totally familiar with the origins of black blade when um the dominaria set story was happening like the weight of the moral quandary that gideon faces in wielding black blade is a good test for him um a, a good character moment of will i do will i align myself with this tremendously evil magical artifact in order to pursue my goals of peace and goodness um obviously yes and he fails and so like that that's one of the thing the fallouts from the stories piru gets killed by the black blade and um when gideon tries to kill bolus with black blade the uh the sword just shatters on bolus's scales because bolus is like law gideon you noob the moment piru got (laughs) murdered by the blade all us elder dragons uh figured out a way to inoculate ourselves against it because it's one of the only things you puny mortal humans can use to kill us so we're better than you get wrecked nerd um (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's important to be inoculated against things that you know can kill you uh so as a reminder go get your vaccine if it's available yeah oh yeah i i swear to god if if it's available (laughs) to you and you're listening to this podcast understand my main career was in public health uh, and probably will be again we'll we'll see how things go but get inoculated i don't want to speak to you unless you're inoculated unless you have you know like an underlying condition that means you can't before we before we move on from uh from dacon talk just from like a little melvin sort of uh flavor point my favorite thing about dacon shadow slayer the planeswalker is that he enters the battlefield with a number of loyalty counters equal to the number of lands you control um which is great because the original dacon card has power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control mm-hmm. uh which is a very esper thing to do um, and I just, I love it. It's just such a cute little, 
like flavorful callback from a uh, card design perspective. I, I mean, I, I really like all his abilities. Um, like this is one of the places where Vorthos and Mel interact a lot is is Planeswalker abilities because they are expressions of a character and their abilities and their motives. And the Dakin card, you know, ha- has that pure mechanical reference to the original Dakin card, which has nothing to do with the character in the stories. But uh, surveilling um, s- the idea of searching for things um, Dakin spends most of the comic looking for Blackblade, looking for Dahada. Like, that is part of this quest. Uh, he has the ability to just exile a creature, you know, stab it with Blackblade, eviscerate it, um, and then he can just plop an artifact from your graveyard or hand on the battlefield, including Blackblade Reforged, the actual artifact, so he can just forge Blackblade. And so all of those abilities are tied into things Dakin does in the story, and that's really neat. You know, again, this is it. Piru has a death trigger that rips the world apart. Great <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. But we should talk about the uh, Fallen Empires character. Fallen Empire. Who even likes Fallen Empires, though? I've heard there's this one nerd on this one podcast. Um, to be fair, only one of the, only one of these uh, there there's there's two two legends to talk about. Only one of them is really a Fallen Empires character, and even then, it's a well. Okay, neither of them are really Fallen Empires characters, but they are related to factions in Fallen Empires. So we're going to start with a uh, Torak, who finally has a card. Uh, the Torak of him to Torak, the person who founded the Order of the Ebon Hand. Uh, he worships a being called the Ebon Praetor. Uh, we talked to him a bunch in our uh, preview episode last week. Uh, his card is great. So it's a two mana, two one pro white, just like the card Order of the Ebon Hand, which was a powerhouse back in the day. Um, and uh, he is a kicker, black, black. When he ETBs, if he was kicked, uh, target opponent discards two cards at random. The black, black mana cost and the effect are just him to Torok. Uh, so for one black, 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 you get an Order of the Ebon Hand that him to Torok's someone, and that's Torok's card. And that's great. Um, we previewed Torok's Canticle uh, last week. That was one of our preview cards. Uh, you know, we talked about, uh, hey, the the cloak and mask on, on the figure in this art looks a lot like some of these characters on him to Torok. It turns out Torok himself is just depicted on Torok's Canticle. So that's cool. Um <laughs> We even suggested it at the time it might be a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, silly us. Didn't know the entire set for some reason. Uh, the some reason being we only got the five free preview cards. There's still so many. Um, uh, and then uh, here's the part where I lose my shit. Because look, there's a lot of things I love about magic and Wizards of the Coast. Uh, especially as a uh, thriving capitalist uh, and someone who is employed by Wizards on uh, many projects. Um, but... But good graces, I think they're gone. I think there is literal zero goodwill left of Wizards of the Coast for me because of this next card. Zivilun, Zivilun, God. Zivilun? <laughs> we have no idea how to pronounce it. We, we even have the pronunciation guide it's, here and we're not, we're not positive. I don't know why the emphasis is on the loon. Zivilun. It's Zivilun. God of sea and sky or sky and sea. I forget. The emphasis is not on the second syllable. <laughs> we have a pronunciation. Anyway, point is... She's the worst. Uh, she is the Vidalian goddess of uh, everything. She she is part of their state religion. She is the one who had created the Vidalians on Dominaria. She's known as the Pearl Moon, associated with Dominaria's Mist Moon, its natural satellite. Uh, I say, you know, I say Torak and um, Zibilun are not part of the Fallen Empire story because they are people who started factions that matter in Fallen Empires. Um, in fact, a critical part of... Um, Zivilunism is that 
uh, after the goddess created the Vidalians and uh, gave her initial teachings, she kind of just disappeared. Um, a, a core tenet is that uh, God is in her heaven and uh, far above the ocean, far above the land, far above even the sky. The moon is unreachable by mortals, which is very funny because later in Magic Story, mortals go to the moon multiple times. Uh, the other moon, but still. <laughs> um, and so there are a whole bunch of ancient writings um, and theologies that uh, get perpetuated and interpreted through time um, with um, Zebulunism. And uh, her core symbol, um, core C-O-R-E, not K-O-R, because there's no core on Dominaria yet, uh, is a moon, a, the quote-unquote winged moon, uh, a Paraceline, a moon with moon dogs. Um, its temples locations uh, for her religion are denoted by a moon symbol with two mirrors facing upwards into the sky, representing both the Paraceline and the reflective surface of the ocean. Um, there is at least one card, a Sentinel of the Pearl Trident, I think is the card name, that has a Paraceline on it. Uh, the Pearl Tridents are like religious crusaders. Um they are... They're like paladins. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're basically... Um, the Vidalians have knights. Uh, the, the Vidalians um, vacillate between these artistic revolutions and these bouts of really militaristic fascism. Uh, the fascism parts are really linked with um, Zivilun worship, um, especially after Empress Galena III, uh, who is the, the last ruler of the Sarpedian Vidalians. Uh, because they all get killed by the Hummerids, hooray! Um, <laughs> and, you know, Vodale has a mighty military full of soldiers and battle mages and knights. Uh, and so the Pearl Trident, so Merfolk of the Pearl Trident, Master of the Pearl Trident, and all the Pearl Trident, th those are all um, basically, yeah, paladins associated with uh, Zivialun. Um So, like, we, we have another god who does god things. Um, if you have two other Merfolk, she's indestructible, you know, so our goddess is more powerful when she has worshippers. Uh, what if she has created other merfolk, then she becomes a worshipable deity that is uh, immune to the wear and tear of time. Uh, this card also just, she gives your merfolk ward, she draws cards when she attacks, she's a three mana, three, four. Um, the uh, pack art by Seb McKinnon and the um, borderless uh, extended art by Howard Lyon are both gorgeous pieces. Um, I, you just, like, they're both also just, like, very different, right? Um, Seb's piece has her sitting in the middle of the ocean with this lyre whose strings are tethered to the moon. Um, and it is the standard Seb McKinnon, largely monochrome, uh, saturated, stylized. And Howard Lines is just filled with color. And they're just such different pieces that show two very different depictions of this goddess. And they're both excellent, technically, even though they depict one of the worst characters Magic has ever created, in my opinion. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when Rosewater gave the, uh, the hints and said there's a merfolk god, I'm like, oh, no, this is it. This is Vilu. There's, there's only one merfolk god in lore that we have not seen, right? Like, <laughs> there isn't a whole lot it could have been. What, Cozy doesn't count? <laughs> Oh my god. Well, I don't, I don't, We've seen Kosi. <laughs> I don't know if Kosi was ever actually depicted as a merfolk. Um, so what's neat about this is so many religions on Dominaria are based around planeswalkers. Planeswalkers, yeah. Like 
Freyly, Sarah, a few others, but there's like, there are a few gods that are mentioned a lot, but that we've never seen as actual god cards ever since we've gotten god cards. And so this is really neat. I hope we get like Toran, who is the um, Minotaur god. There's a paired Minotaur, go- another Minotaur god with Toran. Fires, the dwarf god. Yeah, Fires, Fears. Um, there, there are a whole bunch that I really hope we start to see in, in drips like this. Uh, there's, um, there's a religion in Femerith that worships the sun god, yeah? Uh, yeah, the, yes. the northeast, Jam- northwestern Jamuran religion is focused around the sun. Kind of, kind of like the um, on Ixalan, the Sun Empire, but they don't have it personified. We've never actually yeah. seen a name for their sun god. They just worship the sun. Uh-huh. Although there's another sun god named Tal who appears a lot elsewhere. Yeah, and like um, the Order on Otario worshipped the ancestor, which has been folded into the modern Sarah religion, even though it might not be actually linked. There's like I, I, I want a different card for that. I'm not counting that. Yeah, and like we don't we don't know if Gaia is an actual god or whether she is Dominaria's world soul. That's not like entirely settled yet. Um, so there's just like lots of interesting spaces to explore gods on planes. More like we've discussed this. Gaia is Rebek, who's ascended. <laughs> um, That's part of this. why the color. We'll talk about this next week. I'm not even. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, that, I'm i going to end my Zivilun talk there because I really don't want to talk about her anymore. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to Garth One-Eye, the very first magic novel protagonist from Arena, also known as that book, that guy who's been playing since Alpha won't shut up about 30 years <laughs> later. Um, so Garth One-Eye is, he becomes a planeswalker eventually. Now, to preface Arena... Arena is a very uh, sexist book. Let's just put that out there first. Like, reading through this, um, the Benalians apparently in this version have a caste system that uh, if you are a lower caste, they still rotate every year, but if if they rotate and you're a lower caste and a man of a higher caste wants to mate with you, uh, he is allowed to. And so many women escape this rape, uh, which is this is not good. This is not good at all, folks. Um, but this one woman who is a main character, a Benalian, uh, who escapes is then treated very poorly by the main characters as well. Especially like the assistant who makes all sorts of suggestions that are uncomfortable. Uh, it's, I, I don't know, people have been recommending this a lot. It really needs to come with a disclaimer, I think. All right, so let's talk about it. Uh, Arena, the plot itself, you have seen before. 100% you've seen a version of this story before. It is a stranger comes to town with a secret, and his secret is tied to the town's past. He he comes to town, uh, meets a pickpocket named Hammond and that Benalish soldier named Noreen I mentioned. Uh, they're there for the festival of Eastark, which is three days. Um, the town, the, 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 the city-state they're in is called uh, Eastark or Estark. Uh, basically it's a whole bunch of one-on-one wizard matches, uh, where the wizard that loses has to give up one of their spells. The wizards are literally playing for ante. Yes. Uh, a lot of the magic is very different than you'd see now. It's connected to these amulets that we'll just, we'll say has to do with these, um, uh, this version, this, this event in, in Estark rather than a, uh, multiversal wide thing at the time. 
Uh, these wizard fighters are backed by four houses. They all seem to be enemy aligned because their colors are vaguely uh, the uh, midsection between them. Like there's a, a turquoise house, an orange house, uh, a brown house, uh, and a couple others that you could reasonably say, oh, okay, so that's going to be like, that's the, the black and white house. That's the this and that house. The former grandmaster was a man named Kuthuman who is um, who betrayed the former fifth house uh, and stole all their magical power, all their mana, in order to ascend as a planeswalker. He's now known as the Walker, uh, and his little t- lackey is now the Grandmaster of the Arena. Every year at the end of the festival, uh, the winner of this tournament that's going on goes with the Walker to travel the multiverse and maybe even become a Walker themselves, although... That is what they're told. That is not what actually happens. Uh, So it turns out that Garth, or his real name is Galen, was the scion of that house. And Hammond was one of the fighters of that house who survived the purge. Uh, He sets off a rebellion um, and a riot that uh, Zeril is forced to... Zeril, the current Grandmaster, is forced to put down. Uh, He shows up at the end of the tournament after winning earlier in the tournament... Um, and wins the final battle, has to kill one of his loves. Again, he, some fridging happens here. Uh, and he is taken by Kuthaman, the walker, um, who brings him to another plane in order to kill him. So what's really happening here is the walker doesn't want to have to deal with another potential threat to his power, so he calls the strongest fighter every year. He, however, is weakened by other struggles. He thought by becoming a planeswalker, he'd be finally ascend above the constant fighting and struggling that uh, that he's known all his life. But it turns out he just upgraded to a whole different level of those kinds of battles. Um, and because he's weakened by these other struggles, Garth is able to gather enough power uh, to become a planeswalker himself. Uh, he goes back, defeats Zeril. And then they, he just kind of disappears near the end. It's, it's the whole ending section is really weird. Um, he like fades away, I believe with Noreen. Uh, I don't know if they're just planes walking away or if they're taken away. We only see it from someone else's point of view. And then we see them again in an epilogue, like three or so years later, uh, where they're finally able to defeat the walker off screen in the epilogue. So yeah, that's the plot of arena. Um, it's a book. But it's, 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 you know, Garth is that, Garth is that, you know, fistful of dollars. He's the, he's the Clint Eastwood strolling into town. You know, he is, um, uh, what's, uh, Toshiro Mifune, you know, in Yojimbo. He is, he is that character. Uh, the stranger comes to town, sets the opposing factions against each other to put things right. Uh, he appears again in Shattered Chains, um, thanks to Biren Boer, uh, I've, I don't have a physical copy of Shattered Chains, but I read a multiverse and reviews um, story summary. And basically he just becomes like a magic addict there. He goes wandering the, the multiverse and leaving his wife behind all the time. Uh, and eventually just gives up his satchel of spells, all those amulets he has uh, to another character named Greensleeves, which now I never thought was going to get a card, but now who knows? She might get a card too. Uh, who is another planeswalker, um, or at least briefly in her stories. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of it for Garth. He appears in the very earliest magic novels and never again, never relevant again. I think it's very cool, though, 
that we see that we finally see this character. And I'm very happy for the people who have nostalgic feelings uh, about Arena uh, that they finally got this guy that they loved. Okay. Yeah. One of my um, one one of my friends has uh, every time we bring up like old characters and getting them a card. Uh, he always says, like, you know, let me know when there's a Garth card or, like, a Greensleeves card. And I always think, like, oh, that's just, that's, like, never going to happen. Um, and when they announced Garth and they, like, previewed him, I just sent the card to my friend via Discord message. And then, like, he responded with a genuine, like, yeah, like, that's ever going to happen. This looks cool, but, like, they'll never print it. <laughs> and then I just sent him the link to the article from the Wizards website where it was, like, the actual preview. And he flipped his shit. Excuse me. Let me use proper language there. He, uh, yeah, we now he, have three <laughs> shits, including the one I just said, to censor out of this episode. Oh, we're not censoring them. We've hit our um, we got to get he, back down to PG-13. He just absolutely blew his mind. Um, it was just so funny, because, like, genuine disbelief that they would ever print a Garth card. Uh, and the card is, like, really cool. It references all a bunch of old magic spells, including Black Lotus and, like, Shivan Dragon. All these spells printed in Alpha. Definitely just, like, a, a nostalgia bomb. All right, well, that's it. Let's talk about another character from those early magic novels. I, I think it's cool that we have a Garth and a Karth in the same set. Yeah, I thank you for <laughs> Garth and Karth. <laughs> I, I'm glad we got both of these characters in this set, but yes, the, the rhymes were are, are a thing here. Don't worry, we have uh, a character who's never going to have another character with anything close to a similar name, because, folks, it's fi- finally happened. So, yeah, I love Fallen Empires, and I got to talk about some Fallen Empires stuff today. I love Sarpedia. But also, as long as we're talking about the old Harper Prism publications, uh, there is one that I legitimately enjoyed almost every part of, and that is their second anthology, Distant Plains. Other than the one that's story one. that's really, really racist... Um, <laughs> And, and it's, yeah. it's not other than that one. It's not just that the story is racist. The moral of the story is that racists are right, and you should listen to them about all their bigotry. And like, it's really bad. But most of the other stories in the book are fine, and many of them are really, really good. One of the fan favorite sto- shorts uh, in that anthology is called "Chef's Surprise," uh, starring one Asmarana Marduk Dyson Akuldakar. The the greatest chef in Dominarian history. Jay, why don't you try that? Um, I think uh, I think the name is kind of scary to someone on this podcast because, as Lorelai said, that uh, Jay dropped out of the call for a moment. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was Jay, it was Jay, amazing timing. My like my computer was just like, Nah, man, I'm gonna give you the L on this one. <laughs> no, you didn't even though. try yet. Jay. And Discord was already like, No, no, you did it wrong. Jay, give the people what they want. <sighs> Asmoran Amora Dekai Destina Kaldakar. Asmoran Amora Dekai Destina Kaldakar. Listen, y'all gonna be going around saying Ragavan, all right? I'm I'm allowed not to not to say. You folks are gonna spend more time practicing to pronounce this than like Ragavan. But this is thirteen uh, syllables. I have to practice it. That's all <laughs> yeah, I that's wanted true. out of today. I, I'm I'm good. <laughs> anyway. Brian Dawson. I have no problem pronouncing the name Asmaranamadika Dysonakultakar. My problem is that it's so long I'll forget it halfway through. I have like the memory of a goldfish. That is my problem with it. Like the individual parts aren't hard. As uh, Modern Horizons 2 is described, uh, there's a big flavor chunk about Dakin's story. Uh, Kind of 
the B plot uh, is all these various cards associated associated with Asmarana Martica Dyson Kuldakar, uh, including her legendary creature card, who was never printed for so long because her name doesn't actually fit on the title line and leave room for a mana cost. Uh, she can only be cast if you've discarded another spell this turn. You can cast her for uh, a hybrid black-red. Uh, so she is like sort of madness. Um, but this allows you to cast her from the command zone, because commander's great. Um, she is uh, credited as the author for a book called The Underworld Cookbook on uh, in Alpha on the card Granite Gargoyle. Uh, she is uh, also gets uh, Time Spiral flashback flavor text on Lightning Axe and uh, appears on the Unhinged card saute. Yeah, Unhinged. Yes. Um, and so... We have an artifact, the Underworld Cookbook. Not legendary, because multiple copies were made. We'll get to that when we talk about the story. Um, there is also Kitchen Imp, which is an imp in hell that helps her in the kitchen as a little assistant slash sous chef. Uh, they also eat her clothes. Uh, yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> uh, we have a card discerning taste, uh, which is great flavor text. Everyone loves a dash of crushed pixie, except the pixie. Um, and that's just a fun little card that kind of helps you... Uh, find the right cards you need, you know, picking through your ingredients. Uh, and Chef's Kiss, uh, which is a really Chef's weird kiss. card, um, which uh, has her taking unfortunate situations and making the best of them to please a very demanding master. Uh, now, those are all out of context. So to give a little context, uh, Chef's Surprise starts off in the present day. Uh, most of the story is told in flashback. So the story starts with Asmarano, Martica, Dyson, Akultakar in a tavern. And she gets attacked. She takes an arrow, uh, or I guess a bolt, uh, from an ogre. Who's like, hey, people are trying to eat me and it's all your fault. And she's like, so, you would never believe how I got into this situation. And does the flashback. So she made a demonic bargain with a lord of the pit. Uh, a very powerful evil demon named Vincent. Uh <laughs> <laughs> And uh, she had nothing to trade, uh, so she enters service for the demon for seven years and seven days. And uh, her, her, I almost said quest, but it's really a curse uh, here, uh, is, is that she has to stay in hell, and Vincent is going to eat her unless she cooks him a meal that he finds satisfying. The moment she cooks a bad meal for him, he's going to eat her. Uh, as payment for um, not having anything to trade him when they forged their demon pact. And so she spends her time taking the most horrific ingredients and finding ways to make them good. And every day and every meal, Vincent is like, oh, oh, you sweet little darling. You're, this meal's going to be terrible. There's no way you could make this taste good. And I'm going to eat you today. And she's like, ha ha, no sucker. I'm going to outdo you again. And so it's this like seven year long battle of wits between um, between her and uh, her demonic patron. Um, both of the characters are just really, really fun. I, I cannot stress enough uh, that the story is excellent and read it if you can. Um, so while she is making these recipes, uh, she's writing them down, um, 
and uh, she she makes 20 copies, but she only wants to sell two. One to Vincent, so that because uh, she is confident she's going to escape from the servitude and go back home. Uh, and she was going to leave one copy of the cookbook with Vincent so that someone else can continue to make the meals that he likes. Uh, and she's going to give one copy to her mom. And and so her little helper imps who um, have little like narrative interstitial moments uh, in the story who are so so she makes twenty copies but only two sell yeah the only two the only people who want to buy them are her mom and Vincent um, the point is the imps are incompetent and they go to throw the others away <laughs> and instead of like incinerating the copies they accidentally like go through a portal to Dominaria um, and make their way out into the public. Um, and so the day finally comes where um, Asmarano Martika Dyson Kuldakar fulfills her duty, her her enforced servitude, indentured servitude, to cook Vincent all these meals. Uh, and he's like, hey, well, you know, I know, like, you know, or, you know, you fulfilled your end of the deal. But, you know, if you, like, want to stay here and cook for me, you know, that would be really swell. And she basically just says, fuck off, nerd, and goes home. It's great. <laughs> um, and it turns out, because her cookbook made it into the hands of people uh, around the world, they have started hunting down all these other species to eat them. Uh, and they're all mad at her. And it's it's very funny. Uh, and there's a great line at the end. It's not my fault that you're food. We're all food for something else. And it's not my fault that I can make you taste good. Um, it's great. Like... <laughs> The story is filled with a lot of humor and a lot of good drama, and it's wonderful. Her card makes food tokens, uh, sack food, you know, she tutors up the Underworld Cookbook card, which you can use to discard stuff and make food. You can sack food tokens to deal damage to things, because, like, hey, we're going to give you these horribly inedible, like, one of the ingredients is out of a granite gargoyle. They're Sarah Angel wings. There's, you know, her card art is like a big snapping maw with a scorpion in it, uh, which is also the art and the food token. Um, it's just a lot of whimsy and a lot of humor in ways I really enjoy. Um, and hopefully everyone in Magic can enjoy too. I kind of like really, really want to build a commander deck for her because um, that story is so enjoyable. And uh, I hope that her card and associated cards go over well, because I would really love to see more things from Distant Plains uh, printed in sets at some point. Um, we we technically, our first Distant Plains thing was Tika's Dragon, uh, but that's a whole other story called Better Mousetrap. Tika is also great. Um, I would love to see her in the set. We'll see. Previews aren't over yet. But um, yeah, that that is... The little story, Chef's Surprise, about Asmarana, Marnica, Dyson, and Kuldakar. One of the best characters from old, old magic lore. All right, so let's do... Uh, Lorelai and I have been talking a lot, so now it's time for a bonus stuff lightning round. We'll give it about ten minutes and put the rest on the next week. Uh, so Brian and Chris have at it. I'm going to start us off with a really cool reprint that we're getting, Soul Snare, uh, which was in the original Commander set that came out, one of my favorite cards from that set. Uh, it's got some really beautiful art, but most importantly, it has flavor text from Inquisitor Lairon, uh, who had uh, flavor text on the card Inner Struggle from uh, Shadows Over Innistrad. So we know that this Soul Snare is set on Innistrad. Also, uh, shout out to Zach in our Discord, because this is the first time it's ever going to be printed with a foil printing, which means Zach can actually play it in a Commander deck now. <laughs> um 
Very exciting. We also have uh, Bone Shards, which is a reference to Bone Splinters. Uh, Bone Shards features the Cathari on Alara, who were uh, famously part of Grixis. Um, and also, uh, yeah, just really cool set uh, kind of take on the Bone Splinters card, which Bone Splinters always considered bad because it's black, sacrifice a creature, destroy another creature. This one is black, sacrifice a creature, or discard a card to destroy a creature or a planeswalker. Gonna be real powerful. Our next card is Scourge Familiar, who has the Phyrexian creature type, and I think that's super cool. Uh, it says the Scourge's screech along with eh. the Scourge's screech along with the bone saw. Eh. That's okay. The time. <laughs> <laughs> it says the Scourge's screech along with the bone saw. It makes a terrible racket, but they seem to enjoy it. Keskit, the Flesh Sculptor. And Keskit is a character that we got in the in Commander Legends, and I'm super happy about that, because I actually like Keskit a lot. Um, so yeah. I I really like that flavor text, too. I'm glad you pointed it out. It's, it's so perfectly Phyrexian. Next card in our lightning round is Persist, which is a name of a card, not just the name of a mechanic. There are multiple cards in this set that have a name that is also like a mechanic. Um, but Persist is really cool. It's a uh, one to black reanimation spell. Uh, returns a non-legendary creature from your graveyard to play with a minus one, minus one counter on it, which is, you know, what the Persist mechanic did. Uh, and it shows a uh, Shadow More Kithkin. And it's got uh, some really fun flavor text. I don't know if this is like the official translation, um, but it's in the town of Mist Meadow, responsibilities are more important than death. Um, it's just very funny to think about, you know, the Kithkin being called back from death to fulfill their responsibilities. Reminds me of uh, Late for Dinner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our next card is Underworld Hermit, who is essentially the Pied Piper of Theros, it seems. Uh, it, it, in the art, it, you have this guy walking around some kind of um, crumbling ruins of some kind of temple or structure with pillars, and he's feeding squirrels that are just following him. And flavor text: some your some sir, eh, some souls yearn to escape death. Others are content to feed the wildlife. And it's just it's awesome. And I love it. it. It makes me so happy. I'm like I I super am all about this the squirrel mechanics in this set, and it makes me super happy. I'm probably not gonna build the squirrel deck because all the cards spike super hard, but. Super happy about alt squirrels. Um, our next card is Unmarked Grave. So I love the fact that this card finds a non-legendary creature, and the flavor text reflects why. I'm sure they were somebody important, but I would I couldn't tell you who they were. So clearly, if it's not legendary, if it was someone legendary, they would know who it was, right? So I, <laughs> it's just it's perfect. It's so perfect. I uh, I didn't even think about that part. That is really fun. Um, set on Zendikar, which is fun because, you know, people just die there all the time. Um, uh, I I do want to chip in. Uh, I, I didn't realize, like, it has a Hedron setting it on Zendikar, but the um, flavor text is from uh, Doros Expedition Guide, who is also on the text for Hagra Mauling and Malakar Rebirth. So, um, Doros, maybe don't put on your adventure party because death or undeath is somewhere right around wherever they are. <laughs> <laughs> uh our next card uh speaking of undeath is uh young necromancer which is like the next part of a cycle that you know only it's only like 
10 years in the making. Um, but Young Necromancer is the take on Young Pyromancer, but for Liliana. Uh, so we have like the same sort of like fangirl character for one of the uh, original five planeswalkers. Um, and she's raising some dead in a, uh, in a cemetery. It's really fun to me because she's got like the whole, uh, Liliana cosplay going on um and the artist shared some notes from from the the art prompt uh and one of the lines was uh show her trying to look as glamorous and queenly as Liliana as she casts a necromantic spell but spoiling it by being too eager and happy um and so she's got like this smile on her face she's definitely like fangirling out because she's doing one of Liliana's spells um and just like young pyromancer she's got like a little brooch on that shows uh Liliana's face it's real fun our next card is Scofos Reaver, and I love this card because the flavor text is kill, kill for Mocus, and it has madness. So to me, that implies that maybe this Minotaur has been blessed by Mogus's blessing and has gone mad with Blood Fury. Um, and as long as it's your turn, he gets plus two plus zero. So uh, it's 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 a great flavor feeling. Yeah, we've also uh, got a uh, Road to Ruin, which is an aftermath card. Uh, from Amonkhet, you know, back when uh, back when those were a thing. So it's like a split card, but different. Um, kind of like a split card meets a flashback card. Uh, but Road to Ruin is an instant that searches your library for a basic land card and puts on the battlefield tapped. Uh, and Ruin is a sorcery that deals damage to a creature equal to the number of lands you control. Um, it's got that same sort of art that you have from uh, the, uh, the Aftermath cards from the original Amonkhet and Hour of Devastation set where like they the two pieces go together. Um it's a cool card. It's really funny. Uh, also because Ruin has like the same effect as another aftermath card. Um so you can build your own aftermath with a two and a red deal damage equal to the number of lands you control to a creature and then one red red deal damage to the number of lands you control to a creature. Um but it's cool to see some more uh, Amonkhet cards. Our next card is Arcbound Shikari which is the the art on the uh the sketch is i love how the shikari looks in this art um it's the little the hint the, eh, the hints of blue hues and i and i just i just love how this card looks it's um like the the white you're used to seeing the white linen and i just i don't know what it is i just like this art um and then it being an artifact cat is super funny to me uh, it also has the same axe that the Naya Leonid have, that Ajani has, for some reason. I missed that. Um, he hasn't been to Mirrodin. Weird. It's not necessarily Mirrodin. Um, yeah, I know. But I want to know the story of the card and why it has an axe like Ajani. So, I'm vaguely remembering the um, that one Elspeth story that, that moves her from, from New Phyrexia to Theros that... She throws the message in a bottle into, like, a, a swamp or something. I forget what it is. So, like, the message never actually gets to Ajani, but she mentions that Ajani had met with Ka at least once or somewhere in there. Um, so, I mean, it's possible that this was designed by one of the Mirans uh, to resemble Ajani's axe. We don't know. Uh, I think it's interesting. I don't know. I think it, it Leonin Elder from original Mirrodin actually has a, a, a weapon that's oh well then then it might just be a uh, it might just be a, a, a Leonin thing. Yeah, it, it's not exactly the same, but it's similar enough to where I could. It's just stylistic, I guess. I yeah, I could see it being that weapon. 
for sure. But it's also very similar to the Naya axes, for sure. That's interesting. I didn't even notice that. Maybe the Mirrodin Leonin came from Naya. Or at least some of them. Maybe. (laughs) Our next card is Monoskeleon. And this art is hilarious. You have this huge Triskelion piece that's working independently and it's just plunging its single leg extrusion through some poor sap. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one third of a Triskelion. So it just has one leg, which means it's a pogo stick of doom because it just hops around <laughs> and saps people through the chest, right? That's like, has to be how it works. It's the funniest thing to me. <laughs> it, it's it's hilarious looking art. And I, you feel bad for the guy who's getting stabbed. But at the same time, like, wow, like how how did we get here? <laughs> it's it's also fun because it's literally one third of a Triskelion. It costs one third of a Triskelion. It has one third of the Triskelion's ability because um, it enters with one plus one plus one counter. Um, it's just very cute. When are we going to get the Biskelion, huh? Some bi erasure up in here. Um, <laughs> that that's fair. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and our last card for the day is Patriarch's bidding and. It has new art where, as the original art had the Cabal Patriarch summoning tentacles and whatnot out of the bog in his arena or whatever. This one has a bunch of werewolves uh, surrounding the one Patriarch werewolf of the pack, it would seem, uh, like highlighted by a full moon in the background. And, like, this. You know, like, what we know about Innistrad is very, like, we don't have a, any kind of structure for the werewolves that we that I'm aware of. Like, you, you have um, Ulrich, the Crawling Horde, Alpha, or whatever, so we you can assume there's some kind of hierarchy there. But, like, the fact that there's a patriarch, if you've played any of Magic Legends, which I've, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sad or ashamed to say that I've played way too much, um you know that there's a storyline where there's one village that has this like if you go to Gabony, the first quest line is you going into this village and you're getting manipulated into purging off all these this town that has succumbed to lycanthropy but they it, it seems like they were all willing to do it so i'm wondering if there's going to be some of that in the Innistrad set coming up so that's why I'm super interested in this art and the story that it's telling. It's also very interesting that it's black and uh, in not red or green. Werewolves yeah. are red green. I think it's depicting uh, one of the werewolves has found a piece of cheese and he's put it on the ground, and the other werewolves are like slavering at the mouth to get at it, and he's just basking in the glory at having provided the cheese. <laughs> That's relatable. Uh, to answer your question, Chris, uh, serrated Biscalian was printed in Wella Light. What? Got him. <laughs> uh, uh, you can't blame me for not knowing Blender Light cards. <laughs> it was reprinted in Dual Decks Elspeth versus you. Tezzeret, so. She got you with that one, honestly. <laughs> now, in fairness, it doesn't do similar things to the original Triskelion. Sure. With negative one, negative one counters on things, but it is serrated, I guess. So, regardless, this set is insane. Like uh, a set so where we get good things. Garth One Eye, Asmaran, Amarda, something or other, <laughs> Zvelun, Dakin, Carthalion, and Piru that we know of so far is, uh, yeah, like if we got half of this, we would have been happy in previous releases. Although this has spoiled us now, so you know, we know, <laughs> um, 
Uh, listen, you, you've upped the bar, and so if Modern Horizons 3 doesn't get even crazier, like... Greasleaves. Uh, we're gonna be disappointed. Commodore Guff! Like, this is normally the part where I'd make jokes about Ram. And by jokes, I mean, seriously, I just want a Ram card one day. I just really, <laughs> really want her. Um, but more realistically, just come on, loot Niptal. I want, give me loot. I want loot. I love loot. Uh, he's appeared in two stories. He should have priority over some of these other characters. Anyway, this is a long episode. <laughs> We're going to have probably a long one next week. We'll see how many more flavor gems get previewed. But uh, I think this is where we're going to end this one. Let's, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's move on to final. Well, let's get do, final do, thoughts. Do, do this was a long episode. Final thoughts because. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think our thoughts are this set's great. Um, and if you think the set is great too, or if you want to learn how to pronounce Esmeralda, Marduk, and Dyson, Akuldakar, you can head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast and support the show today because everyone who supports us on Patreon gets access to our Discord community where Vorthoses from around the world are losing their minds at this set. Modern Horizon sets, uh, the this is the kind of stuff that... The hardcore Vorthoses lose their minds at because we get cards like Dakin and Piru and Karth and Esmeralda, Marnica, Dyson, and Kuldakar. It's the kind of set where newer Vorthoses get to enjoy a lot of stuff. There's a lot of Zendikar. There's a lot of Innistrad. There's, I was about to say a lot of Alara, but Alara's like almost 10 years ago now. So that's not new. Um, but, uh, you know, Modern Horizon sets have, have continued to put some newer stuff uh, in into the sets too. There, there was Ixalan and Ravnica here as well. Um, and so it just get uh, it's just a place where Vorthos is, no matter how long you've been a Magic fan or how recently you came to the game, uh, get to just enjoy really weird, unique cards um, and talk about them and learn things about Magic's past, uh, see connections that might hint at Magic's futures. And uh, we have a great community of people who are having a great time with this set, and we would love for folks to be a part of that. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.